Hello again, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. I'm Mark Ice, your host, and unfortunately, after a pretty positive string of podcasts, we are going to have to discuss a loss today. So the Sabers came out of the uh, out of the Colorado game, out of Colorado with a 2-1 loss, gave up a goal late with 31 seconds left, I believe, that went in off Mark Pesic. Uh It looked like they were going to be able to pull off the win, but kind of crumbled a bit in the third period. Robin Leonard really was the was the big story tonight. Uh, I thought he played pretty well overall. You can tell the the talent he has. And I, I've said that I said this after his first start, but just with his size and his, and his athleticism, you can see he's got all the all the potential in the world and he made some big saves tonight. I do think this potential despite playing ball, he still does need to play under a bit more control. So he flops around a bit on the first goal. He took himself out of position by really overcompensating one way and then wasn't able to make it back. And it looked like he was trying to make this really flashy save when really what he should have been doing is tracking the shooter across. And then when the puck came back, he would have at least been in a position to, to get across the crease and and make a pretty good play on the puck. But instead he had to just dive and all the you know all the shooter had to do was get it up and over him. Uh, the Sabres overall, I thought, they all played the Avalanche through two periods, but uh, they weren't really able to hold on. They went into the same kind of shell they went into um, like they did against the Coyotes, but they weren't able to, to to fend off the Avalanche like they were able to do with the with the Coyotes. So that was unfortunate. I would like to see them. They seem to go into that shell a little bit too early when they've got the lead. And I think it has to do with, especially the last uh, couple games, they've They've had they've had trouble scoring, had trouble scoring specifically at even strength. So I think that's why they're going into that shot so early and trying to just hold on lead whenever they whenever they can get it. But I think they've got to stay on the offense and you know not be not not be ultra aggressive, but not be ultra defensive at the same time. I think hopefully as they as they get healthier this year and then beyond this year, as they continue to add some more scoring talent to the lineup and they become better at scoring at even strength, maybe they'll start playing that way. I think Bilesma's doing it uh, mostly because he doesn't have faith in his guys to go and get another goal, so he prefers to to sit back. But even if they can't score, I think this lineup showed throughout most of this game they were able to get pretty consistent cycles in um, in the avalanche zone. And if they could have just kept that up and tried to keep keep the pace, keep dictating the pace themselves, keep lengthy cycles in the offensive zone, I think that's a better strategy right now than just everybody collapsing, hoping that their goalie can can hold on for a win. And that strategy worked against the Coyotes, and it was great to see it work. It works sometimes, but just as often you see it not work. And I think that this is the type of game that they're going to figure out how to win, but they, that they're not good at winning right now. So when they when they collapse, I think with how young they are and with how how much inexperience there is throughout this roster, especially now with with injuries and having to bring up more guys from Rochester, but that late untimely goals have been their downfall in in so many games this year, including this one. And I think a lot of that's been their goaltending's been up and down, but just as much of it can be attributed to the inexperience of the roster and I think playing this really passive 
sort of game late in third periods when you have the lead or when it's tied. It's like they're just trying to hold on and get to overtime rather than put the other team away. So hopefully they can figure out how to start taking it to the other team in these types of situations because sitting back for the I mean, for any team, really, it's it's difficult to hold on unless you've got a real stud goaltender. Maybe Leonard can be that guy. Maybe he's he's a guy you're going to be able to just collapse around and try to block shots and let him win the game for you over the last 10 minutes when you're ahead 2-1 to one or 1-0 one to nothing or if you're tied to get you to overtime. But I don't think that's a way to consistently win games and just putting way too much pressure on your goaltender night in and night out. Um, so as for specific players and lines beyond Leonard, I was really impressed again with the third line. So Felino continued his great stretch. Uh, Johan Larson really stepped up and he's thrived in the third line center role. And Brian Gianta had another really nice game. And that line is kind of three different guys. Well, especially Felino and Gianta that weren't really finding any chemistry elsewhere in the lineup and were even bringing down some other lines, but they've come together and formed a really solid third line, and they're able to get in. They're able to establish a cycle. None of them are extremely offensively talented, but they, they'll they get in on the forecheck. Exactly what you want out of a third line, pretty well defensively as well, and they're able to match up against against other teams' top lines or second lines. And that's really all you can ask for. And it's nice to see two young guys that are still figuring out in Felino and Larson really look like they're starting to blossom. And then to have that veteran anchor next to him and Gianta, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I'm, I've been one of the har- harshest critics of, of Gianta, but I think he's found his niche in the lineup. And I think that uh, basically taking away so much of the offensive responsibility from him. So for example, when he was playing with Eichel, there's a lot of pressure on you to, to score and to finish chances, and that's what you're there to do. And I don't think that that's really his specialty anymore. He, he, he He's so small, he doesn't quite have the same speed that he used to have, and it's so hard for him to create space and to get a shot off. And basically the only chances he can get are when, or were when Eichel could set him up with a great pass. But you need a winger on that kind of line to be able to create some space for himself, be able to create something for himself, and to be able to to be able to really complement Eichel as well as possible. So I think him moving down the lineup into a more defensive role has been has been perfect. And so it's it's great to see great to see that line coming together. And I'm hoping that they stay together going forward. But Sam Reinhardt's injury, which I'm going to talk about next, it may throw that into flux. And I don't know what Bilesman will do if he'll just continue to move these AHL call ups up the lineup to play in the top six with. Eichel and O'Reilly, or if he's going to put Eichel and O'Reilly in the same line and kind of run two lines as much as possible and, you know, fill in the third and fourth lines here and there. But um, first I'll talk about Reinhardt's injury. And so he left with an upper body injury after it was a pretty big collision away from the puck, him and John Mitchell, Johnny Malkin, uh, he looked like he was hit in the face in the collision, so I'm hoping he doesn't have a concussion. There really hasn't been word one way or another on that, but uh, he left the game. We don't know if he's going to play next game or not, but if he doesn't, the forward lines are going to are going to look pretty pretty bare, especially if Gergensen isn't back. It looks like Ennis won't be back. Delorier is not going to be back, so you're missing four regulars from the lineup and. 
three top six guys. I'm not really sure what uh, what they're going to go with next game. So I think they're going to stick with O'Reilly and Eichel in the middle and then try to fill in wingers next to them and then keep that Felino-Larsen-Gianta line together. So I would probably expect Kane, O'Reilly, McGinn as the, I guess, de facto first line. And then there's, there really isn't much left on the wing for Eichel, assuming that you keep the third line, the Felino, Larson, Gianta line together. But I'd expect probably Molson to get another shot with Eichel, maybe Verside. And then I'm expecting them probably to call up Cal O'Reilly and have Leguan, Schaller, and O'Reilly as the fourth line. But not a whole lot there. And it's going to be interesting to see what, what Bilesman ends up doing. I wouldn't be surprised to see Eichel kind of get the the bare end there the, to, to kind of get the scrape in the bottom of the barrel for uh, for wingers for him because O'Reilly, you tend to put him out there in all situations. So you want to have probably some of the better wingers left to play with him. I don't think you want to break up that third line. You're going to be giving the Eichel line some easier offensive zone starts. So they're probably going to give him the weakest wingers left. And I would think probably it's going to be two of Molson, Veroni, and Cal O'Reilly, assuming that O'Reilly is the one that's that's called up from Rochester to replace Reinhardt. And once again, this is assuming that Reinhardt's not going to be able to play, uh, be able to play on Friday night against Detroit. So Eichel just talked about him a bit. Uh, he was noticeably impressive again, just really blossoming. Um, not really much else much else I can say about him, but just some of the plays he's able to make are, are pretty eye-opening, and he's really starting to become a special player in this league. Um, also, it was nice to see Kane be able to pot a goal. I, I, I think he's played quite well recently, and I was glad to see him rewarded. Eichel and O'Reilly got the assists on that one. Um, it was a nice shot. Good to see him finally be able to finish one, I think. I'm hoping that it's able to wake him up from a bit of an offensive slump, though I think he's brought everything else to the table that you want him to bring. I think he's been skating hard. He's obviously extremely fast. He's um, getting in on the forecheck. He's disrupting opposing defensemen. I think he's doing everything that you that you want him to do except score goals. And scoring goals is really the reason why he's paid the big bucks, why he's... You know why he's paid over five million dollars a year, so can wake him up and he can put a little string of offensive production here, and they really need it. They're starting to get back into their having trouble scoring mode. With injuries, I guess it's understandable to an extent, but it's it's really difficult to try to win every single game in this league, one nothing or two to one, and that's what they're starting to revert back to after a pretty good explosion of of goal scoring. So. Hopefully we can see Kane start to get something going here, especially if Reinhardt's hurt. There's going to be a ton of winger uh, pressure because Kane's really Kane and McGinn are their only legitimate top six guys left, and you can even make an argument neither of those two are legitimate top six guys right now. You can say McGinn <coughs> is only best best fit in the top six on on certain lines, and Kane you can argue that he detracts sometimes from other talented top six centers, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on those two specifically if Ryan. So Josh Georges came back from, he, he was day to day. The pairings changed. So Georges moved up, played with Pesic, and then um, 
Weber moved down and played with France, and McCabe had played with France in the last game, so now he was the odd man out. Um, I thought Pesic didn't have his best game. He was on the ice for both goals, and he didn't get out of the way on the shot on, on the game-winning goal. And Leonard was noticeably frustrated. I don't know if it was with Pesic necessarily, or if it was just, you know, it got down to he was 30 seconds away from getting the team to overtime, and you know, all of a sudden a kind of freak bounce goes off his defenseman and, and goes in. There's not really much he can he can do about that goal. But Pesic would wasn't it wasn't great. And you know, you're so used to him being so good. So I think the expectations are a lot higher for him than than with many of the other defensemen on this roster. But hopefully he can he can bounce back from that. He's still back from injury, probably still has some some rust. So um hopefully Hopefully he can develop some chemistry with Georges too. To the best of my knowledge, that was the first time they'd ever they'd ever played together. I don't think they played together at all last year, and I, I'm almost positive they haven't played together at all this year. So hopefully, assuming that these are the kind of long longer term pairings here, at least for the foreseeable future, hopefully they can they can develop some chemistry. And I like the Weber France in third pairing. I think there's a lot of animosity toward Weber and the Sabres fan base, and they expect him to be bad because he has had some very bad stretches. But that third pairing has been pretty good this year. Um, going against, obviously they're not going against the same quality of competition as the Ristolainen pairing or, you know, as the McKay-Bogosian pairing was facing earlier this year. So they're not facing the opposing first lines shift after shift. But for a third pairing, they've done quite so. I don't mind seeing seeing those two back together. And I thought they were pretty too. I don't think there's much to criticize from them. They they played a pretty safe game overall at at even strength. And they're going to give you your 16 minutes, 17 minutes, you know, whatever, however much ice time they get. And usually they've they've played pretty safe hockey, which is surprising. I, I expected that to be a to be a rough pairing, to be one that I criticized or that I would criticize a lot, but. Really, I haven't. I think they've been pretty solid. So another major story in hockey right now is the Jonathan Drouin situation. And I'll try to relate this to the Sabres as much as possible because, obviously, that's what this podcast is all about. And that's the first thing I think of when I hear of a story somewhere else where a guy wants to be moved or if there's some situation happening. You know, the Ryan Johansson situation is... Is there any way the Sabres could be in on this side? Would he be a fit? Is it even possible? So I really think he'd be an option here because, first of all, interdivision trades are so difficult to pull off, and they're especially difficult to pull off when you've got a guy of Drew N's pedigree and of his talent. And I think if and when Iserman moves him, he's going to want to make sure as much as possible it doesn't come back to, to hurt him. It doesn't come back to you know people blast him for handling the Duran situation wrong. And that's always a possibility because Duran could always go somewhere else and explode and become a star. But if he goes somewhere in, in his own division and becomes a star and you've got to see your team play him a bunch of times a year, then it's really going to come back from the fan base and maybe even from ownership that this is a huge mistake. So I think that Duran ultimately would be dealt most likely out west, if not, you know, Maybe 
maybe just out of the division in the Eastern Conference, but almost certainly to the Western Conference. And I'm not really sure. I'm, uh, at first I was thinking Eiserman will dig his heels in on this one and really just wait it out. I don't know, though, because there is a lot of – it's an interesting situation there because there's so much pressure on them to make the playoffs and to try to go on a run here. But if you have this guy of Duran's value sitting at home and you can argue that he's losing value every day, while you could trade him and bring in a piece or two that's going to help you try to make the playoffs this year, I could, you know, I could see the argument going both ways. I could really, I could take either side of this issue and and make a strong argument for it. So I, I don't really know one way or the other what's going to happen there. I, I think that if the Sabers were going to to try to make a move for him, they could probably put together some sort of package and bring back Drewen and Carl and has a terrible contract. It's kind of hamstring the lightning going into trying to re-sign all their restricted free agents they have coming up, trying to make a big offer to, to Stamkos, all the things they have to do and how they're hamstrung by the cap. Having this Carl contract really hurts them. And he still has two more years beyond this one. So I could see the Sabres being one of the few teams that could bring back that deal and Tampa wouldn't have to retain anything. I think that's the only way. I'd said this before. We I talked about Duran when he first... When there were first all these talks that he had he had requested a trade and everything, I talked about how could the Sabres get him. I think that's the only way that they could do it is if Tampa is insistent on moving Carl's contract along with Duran to kind of kill two birds with one stone, get rid of the Duran situation, and to alleviate all the cap that Carl's tying up. Only if Buffalo is the only team or one of the only teams that's willing to take back Carl's entire contract with Duran and that they're able to still give a quality piece. And love to try to make a move for him, try to make a move of a guy, uh, move for a guy with that kind of talent. And I think it, it fits the other types of moves that, that Murray has made. But I, I still just don't see it happening. I, would, I could see you making a pretty good argument, something like Gergensen's for Druen and Carl. And I know a lot of the Sabres fan base wouldn't like that, Gurrens is kind of a not I mean not kind of he is a fan favorite and he's been one of the few bright spots over the last couple of years but I think it would be worth it to bring in a guy of Duran's type of type of ability and he could be a star winger next to Eichel for the next 10 plus years I think that would be worth it I don't know if that's enough to get it done I it's really hard to gauge what his value is around the league and especially after he after he pulled this stunt, after he, he first went down to Syracuse, played some games down there, and then now basically gone home and said he's not going to play for the Tampa organization again. So he'll be at home until he's traded. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see because there really hasn't been a situation like this in a long time. So I don't know how much it's going to harm his value and how much is it really going to change how, how all the other GMs see him? Or is it just going to bring more people into this bidding war because now you know he's going to get dealt? There's no way Iserman can really dig in his heels indefinitely on this one. So it'll be it'll be interesting to follow. I don't expect the Sabres to be a player. I'd expect maybe maybe a team like Nashville could make a, make a run for him. I know, I know Anaheim was connected to Duran. That would make some sense too. Uh, but really... 
I don't know. Normally, I have a stronger opinion on these types of things, but I could see it really going either way. I could see just Iserman leaving it, leaving him at home or see him try to move him as soon as possible to, to bring in an extra piece or two to try to really make the playoffs. So that'll be interesting to follow. I don't really expect an in he'll get dealt tomorrow. Um, as far as the Sabres, they will play Friday night Detroit at home. Um, Sabres have struggled at home. Detroit, they're having major cap issues right now, but uh, they're one of the best teams in this conference. Uh, Peter Mrazek, he's having a he's having a hell of a year. My wife's actually a Detroit fan, so I watch probably at least two thirds to three quarters of the Wings games. And Dylan Larkin's been a revelation for them. He's been he's been great, real contender for the Rookie of the Year for the Calder. Um, and they've got good scoring depth. They've played pretty well defensively. Uh, Nick Cronwall hasn't had one of his normal seasons. I don't know if it's that he's on the decline because he's getting older or if it's just a, just an off year. Uh, but Danny DeKaiser's really stepped up. He's had a hell of a year, and he, he looks like he's he could be the future top dog on that blue line. Mike Green's been a nice pickup for them. They needed some more offensive punch, punch from the back end. So... Their defense looks better. They've got a lot of young guys coming up, too. Uh, as far as uh, as far as far forwards, they've their young guys have, con- have continued to step up back there, too. So they're really in that transition phase right now where you've got Datsuk and Zetterberg at the tail end of their careers. And they're still good players, still important players. But then you're looking at who's, who's the next generation and Larkin now looks like he's the star of that next generation but you've got Gustav Nyquist and Tomas Tatar uh, both good goal scoring wingers fast both both on the smaller end but fast tenacious great shots um, and then Riley Shane looks like a, another building block for the future and he's a real nice middle six type center that can kill penalties, contribute on the power play, a little bit of everything, can fit with any type of type of line. And they've got a pretty good cast of characters down in the down in the AHL too. So that's a team that's dangerous now, and they're going to be dangerous going forward. They've hamstrung themselves with, um, themselves with some bad contracts. The Jimmy Howard contract was terrible. I think the the Justin Abdelkader contract, they just signed seven more years for Abdelkader at, I think it was $4.25 million a year. That's just way too long for a guy of, of that ilk. And those are the types of contracts that really bring down an organization. I think usually when you pay your stars, it doesn't come back to hurt you. And when you can try to sign players to good value contracts or keep them on shorter-term contracts, it doesn't kill you. But it's when these more complimentary guys. So you're thinking about, you know, your number four, number five defensemen or your third line wingers. When you sign those guys to these really long-term deals with with a lot of money involved, that's when they come back to hurt you. I also think goaltenders, if you sign them to really long deals, in more cases than not, it's going to come back to hurt you. So I think that that's another one that's going to that's gonna bite them. Um, already they're starting to feel the effects with the Howard deal. Luckily, Mrazek is still cheap, but when they've got to pay Mrazek, and I think they will because he's really, really good goalie, and I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't be surprised to see him, if not shut out the Sabres, to dominate them on Friday night. But when they need to pay him, it's 
it's going to look that much worse, assuming that Marezzi continues to keep up this level of play and that they need to pay him what the what the market will bear. So I think I'm, I'm hoping the Sabres stay out of that. They've already given away one of those types of contracts, and that's the Matt Molson deal. That's a long-term deal with a lot of money involved for a non-core piece. But I think that as you start to think about we need to make sure we've got our core guys in place and there's and cycle in players around them. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about, I didn't talk about this, but Jamie McGinn and, you know, is, is he going to stay around? Are they going to lock him up? And a lot of people are taking the, the side that he shouldn't be traded. And I, I think that this is crazy. I think this ties in perfectly to that, to that conversation that we were just having. Obviously, if you could sign McGinn to a two-year deal at $3 million a year or something, you would do that. But him going on the free agent market, that's not going to be his price. He's going to go out there and he'll get probably a four-plus-year deal, probably at $4 million a year. I'd expect probably a four-by-four-by-16, four-by-four, so four-year, $16 million type of deal. I think it's a no-brainer to trade him away rather than to lock him up at that kind of price. I like McGinn and I like what he's done. Uh, I think he's fit in pretty well next to Eichel. But as we start thinking about the cap moving forward, you need to lock up your core guys. Look at what Chicago's had to do. And that's what the Sabres are going to have to do eventually. They're going to have to pay Eichel a lot of money. It looks like they're going to have to pay Reinhardt a lot of money. Ristolainen's probably going to get a lot of money this offseason. When you've got those core guys in place... You, you have to avoid giving huge deals to ancillary pieces. And McGinn is an ancillary piece. So I think you've got to trade him away, get an asset back for him. He's not this versatile guy that can play on a defensive shutdown line that some people are making him out to be. Just because he hits people and he can stand in front of the net doesn't mean that he's a good defensive player. And he's not a good defensive player. You've got to put him on a kind of sheltered line, which the Eichel line has been for much of the year and why he's fit in pretty well there and been able to produce well there. But you you can't lock up that kind of guy long-term for the kind of money that he's going to get, that I expect him to get, when you've got to worry about locking up all these players into the future. Now, of course, if you're taking on a lot of money, if you're signing guys to one- or two-year deals for higher average contracts. That's not a big deal because all these guys are, well, not all these guys, but Eichel and Reinhardt will both still be on their entry-level deals for another two years before we've got to worry about locking them up longer term. But just got to be very careful about signing somebody like McGinn. And I think you've got to look at what Chicago has done, and they haven't been afraid to trade away those types of players and try to sign in or try to sign one-year deal guys to one-year deals, maybe two-year deals for relatively low salaries, and try to find those value-type deals. And I think that they're out there every off-season. If you look at somebody like Chris Stewart, not that he'd be willing to come, or a guy like him would be willing to come to Buffalo right now for the type of contract that he went to Anaheim for. But I feel like he's a very similar player to McGinn, and he was willing to go to Anaheim because they, they looked like they were going to be a real contender this year, one-year, $1.7 million deal. 
those are the types of, of contracts you've got to find. You've got to go out and find, you've got to find the Brad boys on a, on a PTO, those types of, of players. When you think about this cap down the line and how the Sabres are going to comply with it. So I think it's a no brainer right now. McGinn needs to be traded at the deadline. He's going to have good value. There aren't going to be a ton of sellers at this deadline, unless the standings really change here in the next month, but there aren't going to be a ton of sellers. So the Sabres as one of the few true sellers in this market, you've got to move the pieces that you do have. And I think McGinn is one of those pieces. It'd be one thing if he actually fit the meme that, that Buffalo fans are, are enshrining him with that he can play anywhere in the lineup and he could be a good third liner and he can, we can fit up in the top six when necessary. And it's not really the truth. If you want to have, it looks like they want this third line to be more of a shutdown defensive type of line. And McGinn does not fit there. He's not a good defensive winger. And as much as I like what he's been able to do up in the top six, I think he's he's exceeded expectations up there. He's been able to provide some offense, provide a, a type of dimension that they didn't have necessarily or they didn't have enough of, which is the net front, not willing to take anybody's crap, that you know, that type of guy. But I think that he he needs to be moved despite all of that because he's not this versatile up and down the lineup player that that people seem to think he is. So I'll end this uh, this podcast on that little rant that somehow I I entered from talking about the the wings and how contracts are or I think going to affect them already are affecting them but will affect them even more down the line. Um, but that should be a good game. I I'm interested to see if they can wake up at home finally. They've struggled so much at home. And they, they never really seem to play that well against Detroit. So I'm not expecting a ton. I, Detroit's one of the best teams in this conference, like I said. So I'm not expecting a ton. I, I have a ton of respect for Peter Morazic. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him put a great game together, even if the Sabres do come out flying. But be looking forward to it. I'll be watching it with my wife. And, you know, she's a Wings fan, so I do watch a ton of their games. And it's always fun when when our teams play so thanks for listening i'll hopefully have another podcast after the after the the wing sabers game thank you bye